here we go. This is episode number six. Six. Episode number six of what we call the nonprofit podcast, uh, because we primarily work with schools and nonprofits. Um, but we want to make sure that we're talking to everybody. We want to make sure we're talking to small business owners and really all the folks that we try and serve and and work with and we're friends with. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very special guest, my good old friend, Jennifer Hodges. Jennifer. Hello. Hello. Long time <laughs> listener. First time caller. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> I, I've always wanted to say that too. I love that. Uh, so Jennifer is an old pal from the hotel days, from the yeah. hospitality days, my previous life and really your previous life too. Yeah. Um, so we've got lots to talk about. This is going to be a really fun conversation. I want to get started as soon as possible. Let's get it crack it. So, Jennifer Hodges, tell me your story. Tell me about where you grew up. Tell me about your early life, kind of like high school, grade school, kind of like those formative years. Mm-hmm. And then we'll dig in from there. You know, I think the story of my birth is uh, actually a telling tale of like where my life was going to go because I was born in the nor'easter of 82 and I was born in March. So in January was this crazy snow ice storm in East St. Louis, St. Louis, Southern Illinois. Um, And my dad was like stuck somewhere. So my mom was like expecting me and she was like, if he doesn't get here and I go into labor, what's gonna happen? He was like stuck for days. That's yeah, so it's so crazy. But uh, my parents are from Mississippi, but they moved to East St. Louis before I was born, like in the mid seventies. So we kind of grew up in East St. Louis and just um, around a, a group of people who were really family oriented. It was like a real community to me. Plus my dad is one of 18 children and three of his sisters live there. So I grew up with cousins, which is the greatest blessing of my life just to have that many family members around me, similarly the same age. So I had like instant friends because sometimes my sisters would get on my nerves. So <laughs> two sisters, one brother, lots of cousins, lots of aunts and uncles, um, was kind of like the star of elementary school. You know, it was very, dramatic and I was asked to read like all the welcomes to the big people who would come and visit. Oh yeah, and they were then, like, Jennifer can do this. Yeah, like she speaks well, let's put her on the <laughs> mic. So I, I, I always did that and in church too, big church family always in like Sunday school and Bible study and vacation Bible school. So um, we moved to the suburbs, the burbs of Belleville when I was about a 10, I think it was 10 years old. And then my whole world changed because I went from a community of like all black people who knew each other, knew, you know, their, their backstory, their family members, everything to this town where we were, we were the only black kids in class, didn't know your neighbors. There wasn't like a corner store that you could walk to. It was just completely, it was a 180 from what I experienced. So what motivated the, the change, the move? Our neighbor got robbed. So and it was sad because it was a mother and daughter. Her, the daughter took care of the mother. They're, they're both named Faye. I'll never forget this. And the houses in East St. Louis are really close. So it just so happened that all of the kids were in the house that day, but the neighbor got robbed. So it's like, that could have been us. And I think that day my mom was like, yep, we're out of here. Okay. So we moved to uh, Belleville in a big house with a pool, you know, and I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> I thought we were rolling in dough because the house had a pool. We had two acres, we had a pool, we had a basement, the first time I'd ever been in a basement. So it was like, oh, we've made it, we've arrived. <laughs> two acres, oh, I'd love two, two acres. Two acres, it is the best. My parents still live in the house we moved into. 
when I was uh, 10 years old and now they've got like a garden. We got rid of the pool, they made it a patio, but now we've got peaches and we're growing vegetables. We're just living off the land. Any day now <laughs> we're gonna get chickens. So uh, so we moved to Belleville, went to Belleville West, Belleville West Room Rooms, which was a Renaissance school. And as much as I missed East St. Louis, it was definitely a blessing to go to Belleville West because- What do you mean you say a Renaissance school? So a Renaissance school is a school that focuses on the arts. So it's like language arts, foreign language, performing arts and art theory and art practice. So they were really big on painting, drawing, sketching, music, all the bands, they just got tons of fun funding. So we always had new instruments and then we had a choir class and then we had dance and then we had um, speech and acting. And, and then you a, had little theater and then you had thespians, yes. And that's a public school? It's a public school. Wow, that's great. So as opposed to a school being focused on math and science or a school being focused on athletics, they were like, nah, we're an arts school. Yeah. I did not know that because I know that like we've worked with St. Louis Public Schools a lot and they have a lot of focused schools like that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know Belleville had that. That's, that's yes. Awesome. Big Shakespeare. Like we had to study Shakespeare. So we, we studied great literature and it was it was an emphasis of Belleville West. Yeah. So when they say they're a Renaissance school, you're going to read, you're going to learn about the arts, you're going to read about learn about great literature and the classics. You're going to read To Kill a Mockingbird and Catcher on the Rye. You're going to read all that stuff. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so did you, like, during those, I mean, that sounds like an awesome high school experience because I went to a little high school <laughs> where, like, being in one play was like, you know. Oh, oh like, yeah. Was, we did one a play deal, a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. We did one play a year. <laughs> uh, so having that kind of experience and be, being that you're very outgoing and stuff like that, did you begin to think about what college would look like or what the next step would look like? I did. And not so much as what college I wanted to go to, but, like, what what I was going to do when I got to college because growing up in East St. Louis and Belleville and then getting to Belleville West and seeing that there were actually opportunities for me to be creative and be dramatic and I could make a living out of that I was like oh my god well let me try and do this I mean the school won state competitions for speech and acting and debate and little theater and all this stuff and it was the first time i've ever seen a musical and i was in a musical so it's like <laughs> this is crazy so once i experienced that i was like okay i can really do anything i want you know especially in the art industry or category so went to southern illinois university Go Salukis, go dogs, <laughs> and studied radio and television. So Carbondale or Carbondale. Arizona? There is no other school. Okay, the only school, well, the, the only SIU is Carbondale. Carbondale, Illinois. Yes. Well, the reason I ask it because I remember I was looking at Carbondale because you always heard about their kind of video, yes, broadcast television program. At that time, it was number one in the state and top ten in the country. Wow. Like it was under NYU, USC, you know, UCLA, all these great film, media, Columbia, it was under those schools. Yeah. Um, so, and it was a public school. It was an hour and a half away drive. You know, if anything happened, my parents can come and get me or I can co come home and be with my parents. So it was just like the best of both worlds. It was like, okay, do I go into crazy debt and go to UCLA or do I stay here and go to a top 10 school in the country for what I want to study? And I did. Join the National Guard to pay for school. <laughs> Yes, because uh, my sister and I are 18 months apart and we were going to be in college at the same time. I heard my parents talking about second mortgage and I was like, not on my watch because if I fail at school, then they've got this loan because of me. So I was like, I'll take care of myself, guys. So joined the National Guard and then in my first year, 9-11 happened and I was just like, okay, uh, this now things are real. And went to Germany <laughs> to kind of serve the war effort. So I was in 
Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. After that, graduated, moved back home, got a real job, and then I decided to be a grown-up and get like a corporate job, and that's when I started working at the Four Seasons with you, and was there for a couple years, moved on and went to working on cruise ships for four years, came back, got my master's in mass communication from Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And <laughs> the other one. The other one, the number two of the SIUs. And um, after that became a college professor. So right now I just finished my, my last semester as a college professor and now I'm just really focused on working in a place or in kind of environment where I create my own work, I create my own way, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm living the dreamer life right now. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, thank you for setting that all up. There is so much to talk about. So much, there's so many bits and pieces. I like, know. let me pull this thing. It's like, where do we start? Mm -hmm. um, gosh, with your service too, there's so many stories you could tell. Um, well, maybe we could, maybe we could try and talk about like when you said I wanted to join the real world and get a real job or mm -hmm. whatever, a corporate job or whatever, and that's when you joined the Four Seasons, which is where we met, became friends and worked together. What, uh, why Four Seasons? What happened there? What was the motivation to, to, to call it my, the, real, the job. real job or the corporate job? Um, it's, it's funny you ask. Um, so <laughs> after I graduated college, the, the Katrina had just happened, okay? So I moved back home and I said, you know what, I'm really gonna try this artistic life. Let me move out to Vegas and be a showgirl. Flew to Vegas, stayed in a hotel for a couple days and like auditioned as a showgirl. Their response was, I was too short. And I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> too short. I'm too short. What? Yes. I was like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I'm not 5'8". So I was like, okay, fine. I'll just come back home then. So I came back home, got a job at a radio station as a promotions coordinator. And one of the DJs there was like, hey, my good friend is the HR director at this new hotel, the Four Seasons. And I was like, you know what? Um, let me give that a try because the the attempts I was making to get a job or work in like the creative, you know, industry, you know, be out there performing, they just weren't coming through. So I got really discouraged and I was like, okay, well maybe this is God telling me to get it together and get a real job. And was that because you were kind of just in St. Louis and looking for opportunities in St. Louis or were you still thinking about like New York, Chicago, LA, Vegas and things like that? You... I was still thinking, I was still open to all possibilities but when someone said something right in front of you and it sounded so good, I was just like, oh, okay. Well, the industry will always be there if I want to go back to it, but maybe I just need to get some sort of steady job right now to maybe build some sort of savings because I just graduated college and I didn't have any money. I was still living with my parents. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just get a real job, save up some money and then you know, try this thing again. Gotcha. And then so he hooked me up with the HR director, got hired right away and then was there for three years. And that at the end of those three years, I kind of got an itch like, okay, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I don't like it here anymore. It's not fun. I don't see myself growing as a person. I don't see myself growing in the company. I'm not being challenged enough. And that is what made me feel, it felt like ants were crawling all over me. And I was just like, I gotta get out of here, quit and had a mortgage and my mom was like, you're insane. You gotta remember when you, my parents are from the South, they're from Mississippi, but they grew up in segregated Mississippi. So their high schools were segregated. Like my mom's senior year, the high school was integrated. 
So their experience with job opportunities and education opportunities is completely different than what the opportunities I had being born in the year that I was and growing up in the Midwest. So they were like, how dare you go to college and get a degree that you know we didn't have the chance to do and you like squander that opportunity. Now you got this high paying job with benefits and 401k and you got this mortgage like black people couldn't have mortgages, they couldn't have homes because they weren't getting loans in nice neighborhoods. They were denied entry into uh, higher education and they weren't getting good jobs. Here you have all three of those things and you're squandering it and you're <laughs> walking away from it. My mom was livid with me but i had to walk my own path and and whether she agreed with it or not i was still going to do it and so i did well and that's i think that's the difficult part about all of this is that if you have this creative passion this thing in your gut that just keeps nagging at you nagging mm -hmm. at you, you know, it's just it's it's like well you know i tried to do the same thing i tried to go walk the corporate path and work in a hotel and just do my thing but it just was I mean, we had some great times together. Oh yeah, we had fun. I had some great times in San Diego at the Hyatt. We had some amazing events. We had some magic in a bottle at the Four Seasons in St. Louis mm -hmm. for three years there. That was really pretty great. But yeah, it just didn't, it didn't scratch the itch. Right. You know? I don't think we're suit and tie people. We wore suit and ties. God, I hated that. You wore a suit and tie, I, I shave, wore a suit. I had to shave every single morning. Right. It's terrible. Yes. And now they like don't have to wear ties and they Right, know, so cash. Yeah. I always joke about that, like whenever I leave a place, when we left high school they could wear shorts. When we left college they could do this when you we leave the four seasons, you have to wear a tie. Right. But um so th that we should talk about that a little bit because I, I dealt with that a lot with, with my family because I had successful siblings and really hard working old school parents. And they're like, you want to do video? What? Right. Like, how? Huh? No, this because is not a good idea. I, I think our family, I think this is why we're such good friends, because our family, our upbringing is very similar, and our parents are very like, get the jobs that you can retire from, you can get a pension, like that's success to them. If you can get a steady job where you can be a doctor, a, a teacher, a lawyer, an accountant, you could work at a bank. Certainty. Yeah, yeah. it's the certainty that, they're, that makes them proud, because it's like, oh, okay, you'll be okay. But for us in video or any type of content creation, it's like question marks everywhere. And that makes them uncomfortable, which in turn makes them mad. <laughs> well, and I was just basically arguing with Laura last night, my wife, about like retirement and certainty. And, you know, she has a pension, but she's kind of burned out with her job. Mm -hmm. So I look at her job like, well, you know, just hang in there because you've got a pension. And me, I don't know what's going to happen. And right. I'm trying to save and this and that. So I feel that tug from my family even now, mm -hmm. even though we are relatively successful and we, we're, we're doing okay and we're trying to survive COVID, but like that that innate family tug is still there to say, well, you've had your fun at Route 3. Right. right? <laughs> you, you, you've proved to everyone that you can make videos, now go get a real job, like it's still there. And I, right. think, that, I think some creatives maybe never even have to experience that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have these very easygoing parents that are like, oh yeah, do whatever you want to do. Right, very like, supportive in that. It's all just paint yeah. or whatever, you know, but my parents and your parents are very like, Take care of yourself, take care of your family, go to church, work hard, all, which is great, mm -hmm. which I think is why we've been relatively successful in the things that we've, we've taken on. But at the same time, it's like it's still there. Oh, know? yeah. Especially when you're the only one that ventured out in this of all the kids. My oldest sister works at a university, so she's in education. My brother was in the military and was in for like 18 years. And then my younger sister works in marketing and her husband is a financial advisor. Like, they're cool. <laughs> But then here's this, here's this middle child hanging out here in the, on a limb, 
It's like, hey, I'm going to try the circus. It sounds cool. <laughs> the circus is in town. <laughs> I heard they're hiring. <laughs> Ryan, let's go. Oh, my gosh. Remind me to tell you all the jobs a little later. That I know. We need to talk about that, too. But but I think that, that people need to hear this. And I think, you know, whether you're a person that listens to this podcast because of the nonprofit thing or whatever, mm-hmm. like, there, there's so many similarities to all of these stories because it's like everyone's fighting a fight, you know, that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And I've always looked at you as uber successful, very hardworking, pretty much able to do anything. We used to say that all the time. Like, Jen can do anything. Like, mm-hmm. Jen can work as a director of banquets, she could work as director of audiovisual, she could run the hotel, right. she could do anything, mm-hmm. you know? And, and again, I think it's that, that that old school, you know, head down, work hard mentality. Exactly. But then like you said, the problem is like, well, what do I do with this? Exactly. I have this work ethic and this kind of old school Midwestern upbringing, but I wanna go do creative things. What do I do? Right. So maybe you could kind of talk to us about that, about some of the challenges of trying to find that fit, oh, it is you know, and finding struggle. that groove because even now I'm going to be eight years into Route Three Films next month. I think it's eight years, and I kind of already feel like I've got this figured out now. Like I know how to do these films, mm-hmm. I know how to help these people, I know how to do this kind of stuff. So like, should I try something else? Should I right. should I go start a nonprofit? Should you know? My wife and I were just talking about this the other night because you know she's a social worker in Cahokia, and we were talking about like what can we do and what's next and and, mm-hmm. and, and you know it sometimes you talk about selfish things like well maybe we should move or maybe we should do this or maybe we should do something for us but then I kept coming back to like well maybe we should do something like for the people you serve or for mm-hmm. you know maybe, maybe Route 3 Films should branch out and have a nonprofit arm or we have so it's like you're always trying to reach for that next thing right and sometimes you tell yourself you're like Am I just like completely ADHD and nuts? No. Or do I just need more challenge? I don't know. It's it's. I think you struggle with that too. Oh, absolutely. And I asked myself that question all the time. I was like, Am I mentally ill? Like, am I <laughs> legit? I was like, Am I bipolar? Should I see someone? Should I get some help? Should I do some sort of test or analysis? But the truth is, is that I, I finally had to accept that I'm one of the dreamers. And the dreamers are always asking themselves, what's next? So once they've established something, you know, they had a dream, they put it on paper, it came to fruition, they're like, okay, great, what's next? We're never happy with that. And I didn't learn that until I learned about Steve Jobs. And I watched the movie about him and he was like, okay, cool, we built this computer. Now let's go on to music. All right, let's get this iPod thing going. Okay, cool. Let's try a nano. Let's try a smaller version. <laughs> now, let's make it touch screen. Let's do an iPod touch. You know, let's add a phone quality to it. So now let's make an iPhone. If he stopped dreaming, all we would have is cool computers. But we have watches and things that can play music and phones and computers and all types of stuff that, that, that we can't live without. That we can't live without. Yeah. That we can't live without because he kept dreaming and he kept asking himself what's next. So I'm like, if it's okay for Steve Jobs and all he ate was fruit and wore black turtlenecks, it's okay for me. <laughs> like, I don't have to look at myself as something's wrong with me or I'm some sort of loser or some sort of crazy person because I'm constantly dreaming. I realize that I'm just one of those people. You know, there are some people who really love to serve people in like the medical field. Like my best friend, she's a nurse practitioner. She will always be there to help someone who broke their leg. Me, I'm gonna be like, call 911 because I'm not touching someone's <laughs> gushing head wound, you know? But she's the person who will jump right in and do that. 
those are those people. You know, there are people who love to teach and educate. They're those people. And I think Laura's one of those people where she wants to like help children learn and grow yeah. and see the progression. She's the teenage whisperer. She, as much exactly. as she gets burned out, as much, and she hates when I say that, but I heard someone say that about her. And I, I'm proud of that, you know, but she is approaching burnout, mm -hmm. but she would probably never publicly admit that because she, that's her thing, man. Mm -hmm. Like being a high school social worker, that right. age group is her group. Mm -hmm. It's like people with, um, my our old neighbor from East St. Louis, she is the baby whisperer. So she's in every daycare, like she can get the kids to take a nap, she can get them to calm down. That's her thing. She's great. I, I don't have the patience for crying kids. It's like, <laughs> it's hard. go to your mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's extremely hard. So, yeah. So anyone, I think anyone who comes up with an idea of a business that's different, that comes out of the box of, of something that you've never seen before, like you can be, you can want to start your own business, a restaurant, a bar, a barber shop. You know, those are businesses we're used to, we're accustomed to. So there's a, uh, the the mitigated risk is a little lower because you know you've seen restaurants be successful. But someone who created Uber, they were like, hey, I got an idea. Look, hear me out. You know taxis? But your own car and you pick up strangers. Huh? What do you think? Huh? <laughs> what? Huh? No? It's just me? Anyone? Okay. Anyone? 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 <laughs> so you have to, those, those type of dreamers, people who think of ideas, nonprofits, businesses that are against the grain are one of those dreamers. They're constantly going to be thinking of something new. As a matter of fact, Uber just bought Postmates. That's how forward thinking this Uber guy is like, yeah. hey. See, but I think the, the deal the deal with dreamers is that I think the internet allowed dreamers to become entrepreneurs. Yes, for sure. Because when I was uh, coming up, I never thought about running a business. I never thought about any of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, working in the hotel kind of forced me to run a business to operate a department, but I never put the two together. I, it's easy for me now. I'm, I feel like I'm a bit more self-aware and I can reflect on the last 10 or 20 years better, but the internet allowed dreamers to become entrepreneurs. And I think people like you and I, that grew up just, just right. You know, we were kind of at the coming of age, college age, if you will, when the internet was coming on. Oh yeah. So we have, I think we have a little bit different perspective on this. Definitely. Because we could not be anything more than dreamers back then. Exactly. Which is why I also went and kind of got a quote unquote real job because exactly. I couldn't find a job in video production, you know? And I think that's the, the blessing, I think, that a lot of maybe people that are younger than us don't understand about the tools that you have available. Uh, people like Gary Vaynerchuk and others talk about Love this him. endlessly about the fact that we can do so much, we can do so much right now mm -hmm. with all that we have at our fingertips. But oftentimes I think it gets overlooked. Oh, for sure. And and the, the young creatives that I talk to now will, it's always the same conversation. It's not about equipment or cameras. It's about, look, man, you gotta, you gotta find clients and you gotta take really good care of them. Mm -hmm. And there's a disconnect there. You yeah. Know, it's like, well, I've got the internet and I've got creative tools. Shouldn't the business, you know, if you build it, he will come type of thing. Right. And that's not how it works. And yeah. I really feel like, you know, a lot of your success and some of my successes come from all those years in hospitality. Oh, for sure. And just understanding like people take care of people mm -hmm. as best you can. Definitely. I think, I think it's fascinating and encouraging that there are more millionaires under 30 now than there were in like 1990. Like in 1990, you would never hear of like a 20 year old millionaire. It was unheard Total of. Fluke, yeah. yeah, like, Total. oh my God, he's a one-off. Maybe he got it in the stock market, you yeah. know? Yeah. In the 90s, rich people had 
gray hair. Yes, they, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But now in 2020, I see stories of like 17-year-old millionaires, 18-year-old millionaires. You know, this guy, he, he's 20 years old. He just did his IPO for his, you know, craft beer. But it's like, what? <laughs> here And here we are, 40, knocking on 40. And it's like, oh, okay. But yeah, people who were born after 1995, they have a huge, right, 1990, I'll say after 1990, they have a huge opportunity of the internet being what it is now. Yeah, and also kind of growing up with the internet. Yes. You know, but then the, but then the flip side of that, and this is probably like, you know, the, the, the old person and me talking, but it's like having the perspective of not having it, I think has helped me a lot. Yes. Because it's given me balance, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's helped me understand. And I even tell my children this now about the internet. I, I always talk to them, I'm like, it's, a, it's just a tool. And they, they, they dabble with social media and they, they kind of, you know, Audrey's on TikTok way too much. Or right. But then you look at Gary Vaynerchuk who talks about TikTok as a way to generate clients and revenue and, mm -hmm. and you know, grow your brand. So I always try and talk to my kids, even at these tender ages, about, look, social media and the internet can be a tool for you if you decide to go into business for yourself. Mm -hmm. And they kind of look at me and they're like, Dad, what? It's dad just I, yeah. I would just like some chips. Uh, exactly. I'm trying to follow these TikTok um, dances. Trying okay. to eat these Doritos. Why are you talking to me about this? Right. And trying I'm to like, learn the world. Let me explain to you guys. Right. What's going on here? Dad, my hot pocket's getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, also, but... the the growing up in the in the age of the internet and trying to start a business. You know, let's say you're 21 years old and you're trying to start an Instagram boutique. Your disadvantage is you don't have classic training, if you will in service and retail and products. That's why a lot of these businesses fail. Like you can make a quick hundred thousand, but they don't have the longevity because they don't have that, they don't have teeth in the game, you know, or skin in the game as they yeah. say. Like we were grassroots working at Famous Bar, if you're, you know, familiar with the St. Louis area, <laughs> folding shirts, you know, like we, we really grew up in that retail and that service age, especially my, with hospitality. My sister worked at Tom McCann. Yes. The shoe store <laughs> at Alton, Alton Square, our mall. And uh, I think it's, and she worked there tirelessly through high school and through her first couple years of community college. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of set the tone for how successful she'd be because of all of those years dealing with the people public and selling shoes absolutely and my mom was the manager of the children's department at famous bar so what i learned from her was she wasn't just selling clothes she was selling an experience and she was building relationships with these people when i tell you she would know first communion easter a seder if it was someone's graduation she just she knew these moms and she knew their kids she knew their ages she knew their names she knew if they had gained weight over the summer or lost weight she always had their sizes ready. And that kind of care is what I learned from her. And me working in the service industry, Famous Bar was my first job, started working there 15 years old, got a work permit. So from there to bars and then hotels, I find myself always going back to the service industry because of my upbringing with these people who cared. Like my mom and my dad are caring people. They're considerate, they're thoughtful. They're always looking at what is it you need and how can I help you? And I think as business owners or anyone who's creating a nonprofit, it's like, think about that. Like, stop, forget that you want to start your own hiking, you know, nonprofit. <laughs> but it's like, who really needs what? Take a moment and look around and solve oh, yeah. a problem. That's what all those business and marketer people say. It's like, solve a problem exactly. and you'll be in business forever. Well, and again, like the problem with creatives is that they don't, I think oftentimes they don't think in those terms, mm -hmm. they think more of the craft and their skill at creating Absolutely. it, you know, 
whereas a lot of times it's you know it's it's not about the camera you know it's right it's not about the size of the camera it's not about the size of the crew it's really about your relationship with the person you're serving and mm -hmm. that is it and I think the other thing is like pipeline mm -hmm. like Gebs and I always our buddy Michael Gebb and we'll always talk about this this coach we had from from uh, the Tony Robbins days and it was pipeline pipeline and that made sense to me I was like yeah of course like you can't you can't do anything unless you you, you have the business right and even my brother-in-law uh, out here in West County who sells cars and has a private lot and everything and has kind of a cool way that he does it it's not like a your typical car lot he always says man just just keep the pipeline flowing or whatever and everything else will take care of itself mm -hmm. all these other things that you're worried about the next lens that you should buy or this or that right. or the next thing you should pursue he's like that kind of all becomes secondary if you're just feeding the beast and keeping the you know and for me, I think it's sustainability. Mm -hmm. Like you can be uber successful and pop and fizzle, mm -hmm. or you can just grind and have that long sustainability, which is what I try and tell my guys is like, let's be, let's be a sustainable business. Absolutely. You know? So here's the other thing we gotta talk about. All right. You've done so much since you've left the Four Seasons. Oh God, yeah. Like I've just <laughs> kind of stayed the course here over at Route 3, kind of mm -hmm. do my thing. But you've done a lot of interesting and exciting things. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. And I want to get to some of the show development, some of the other things that oh, I think yeah. people would love so to hear much. about. So, so talk, talk to us about this path. Like when you left the Four Seasons, which as you said, and as I will admit, you know, that was a great gig mm -hmm. with a future, just not maybe for people like us. Right. But then you found yourself in a similar industry following that. <laughs> How did I not learn like, the lesson? What the heck? <laughs> exactly. So take us through that. All right. Left the Four Seasons and was like, I'm going to get back into this acting performer stuff so moved to chicago and i was gonna work on they had the playboy show going they had pan am and they had um a, a show with kelsey Grammer called something kane i can't remember but i was like yeah this is it guys i moved to chicago <laughs> and um yeah that didn't happen um actually i worked for you for a little bit when i you left did? the four seasons well, i worked for i guess for gebs right yes yeah. so we, we, i worked yeah. for michael gebbin as his little administrative assistant taking vhs tapes and putting them on dvds <laughs> That was my job. And while I was there, I saw an ad on Craigslist that was like, hey, want to travel the world? And I was like, oh, this sounds like sex slavery, but I'll apply anyway. Sent <laughs> <laughs> in my application and then never heard anything back. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to Chicago and do my thing. Went to Chicago and then I got an email. It was like, hey, we're doing open interviews in Chicago. And I was like, okay, Lord. For the cruise ship. For there. the cruise ship, yeah. So it was, it was four cruise ships. I really didn't know until I got to the interview. It was just like, the job is travel and you're gonna be working with people. And I'm like, okay. So then we get to the group interview and they're like, hey, we're Carnival Cruise Lines. I'm like, okay, cool. Now it all makes sense. Did the group interview, got the job. So the next thing I know, I was packing up, flying to Tampa and getting on a ship for the first time and was going to be gone for six months. So did that. Uh, my job on the ship was, I always tell people I was the Julie of the love boat, you know? So if you're a little older, you get that reference. If you're not, Google it. So the love boat had like an activities director. Her name was Julie. So that's basically what the I did. So it was right. like, hey guys, let's do the wobble. And you know, it's time for bingo, arts oh. and crafts. Oh my gosh. That was literally my job. Yeah, so I remember this. Yes. Good time. Went, traveled all over the world. Met people from countries I'd never heard of. Learned a lot about the world. Learned a lot about geography. Learned a lot about people's cultures and languages. Which, going back to you know my mom and the care for people, I think you start to care about people. I think the way you care about people is learning, learning about people, 
learning who they are, what their background is, what their culture is, what your differences are, how you see the world, because you have people from Seychelles um, meeting Americans from Montana, and it's like, Montana, what's, what do you do there? You know, like there are people in the world who know nothing about certain parts of the United States. So we just, as Americans, think that everybody's supposed to know everything about Americans. It's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. Yeah, like Americans can't name all the countries that were that came out of the USSR broke, breaking up. Yeah, you can't do that. So don't expect everyone else to know where Montana is. Well, and I would meet people when I was abroad that knew more about America than I did. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you need to explore your own country a little <laughs> bit more, young man. And I was like, thank you, person from Fiji. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, travel, I mean, you can't emphasize that enough. And that's what I miss about the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. When you and I were there, there were so many international people brought to For sure. I mean, and I was impressed by Four Seasons as a brand because they looked at a new small property in St. Louis, Missouri, Mm -hmm. in the middle of the country, and they brought talent from all over the world. Nigeria, Lithuania, Belarus. um, Australia. Australia. Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) South Africa. Yeah. Uh, Cecilia (laughs) O'Carroll. Uh, so and I loved that about the brand I thought boy they really are taking this seriously Mm -hmm. and they've got these incredible incredibly talented international people that you and I became fast friends with right I think I did very well on the cruise ship because of my experience at the four seasons the four seasons taught me how to exceed expectations and anticipate someone's needs. I will never forget those that combination of sentences and words for as long as I live. They used Amen. to tell us that in like corporate briefings and like group meetings and all the department meetings, they would always say that. And I took that with me and I try to do that wherever I go. And I think as a business owner, that's important for me to hold on to. Amen. Even as a content creator. Say that again. Say it again. (laughs) Exceed expectations and anticipate someone's needs. Amen. That's funny that you said that because I've not heard that in so Mm -hmm. long. And I always say things like managing expectations. Uh, And yesterday we were on a shoot. I was doing just that before we left the shoot. I was making sure that the client kind of understood where we were going with Mm -hmm. the edit. I wasn't sure. We might do this. We might do that. And just gauging her reaction. And she's like, look. I trust you, just do your thing. Right. We've worked with you before, and I was like, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. But you know, what you said rings so true because that that I only know how to do that because, because of the hotel. Yeah, so an example of exceeding expectations, I sent a picture to someone on Fiverr. It was like, hey, I'll animate this or I'll illustrate this photo for you. I'm like, great, I need this illustrated. Send him the photo. He sent me three different versions of it, and I was like, okay, this is the one I want. So he sent me the one I want. He sent me it in a, he sent me two in a JPEG, two PNGs, two different backgrounds, two different sizes, one with the the vector, the transparent background. So for seven bucks, I got eight products. I was just expecting one. I was just expecting the JPEG of the illustration. So it's (laughs) like, you give me all of this. That exceeded my expectations. Yeah, it's over like delivering. over deliver, yeah. under promise and over deliver. Yeah, I was just expecting to get that photo when you told me you were going to send it to me. But then I got the PNG and I got the vector and I got, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's awesome. I'm so glad we're talking today because you're bringing back so many memories. Like I just realized something. I, I want to know what you think about this. When we were putting on those events, mm-hmm. you and me and George and all of us, you know, we were preparing for 
a performance of sorts. Mm -hmm. We were preparing for this this thing that we, we were making or creating or, or, or just like a video. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you're kind of like in the process. Oh yeah. Remember we'd go to pre-con and you'd sit there with the client and explain to them what's going to happen and who's going to help you with this and this is where you're ready. You're preparing them for exactly. this ultimate deliverable which is the event. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird. I literally listening to you talk realize that the films that we create is it's kind of the same. Like you're just it trying is. to get them ready for that that, that final handle. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. It's all a pre-production, you know. Yeah, totally. It's, it's pre-pro and then it's like set up and then and then it's the shoot you know so we're doing all that for action so imagine a grip a gaffer a best boy craft services hair and makeup and then all of a sudden the director comes in and says action but there was so much that happened before you click that button and say action and that's what it is it's like you're setting up the tables you're lighting yeah. the candles you're putting the centerpieces down you're dimming the lights air conditioning okay we're going to cool this place down oh 10 degrees God. everybody comes in like all of those things like what you just described with the best boy and the gaffer and the director it's the same Thing. It is. And to the hotel. It's the same thing. It's, it's, uh, you can replicate that for any business. So if you're doing a pop-up shop, okay, you have to get all of your products. You have to get the sizes. You have to put them on hangers. You have to put them on racks. You have to color coordinate. You have to fold things a certain way. You have to make sure your square is working. You have to make sure you have bags. You have to make sure you have receipts. All before. All before you up. open the door <laughs> and say, I'm here. I know. Come man. by. Oh my God. That's all what, of that happens. That's what I tell people. About, I tell Alan that all the time about racing. And my dad says it all the time. It's like, there'll be times at the track where my dad and I will look at each other after we've arrived and unloaded and we haven't even gone down the track <laughs> exactly. we haven't even started the cars and we'll look at each other and be like you know what just getting here is so much. is hard and it's weird that there's just so many parallels between the things that you've done some of the things that i've done mm -hmm. it's all the same you it, know it's what I mean? all the same like, restaurants hotels filmmaking for nonprofits and schools it's all and i think when you say pre-production or or that preparedness that goes into whatever you're doing that's really when you establish, I think, your trust and your relationship with your customer. Because mm -hmm. they see to the, the links that you're going to Absolutely. get this event off the ground or this film off the ground, or they see the opposite. Mm -hmm. You don't care, you're dragging your feet, mm -hmm. your, staff, some stuff your staff's under-motivated, so. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so you're at the boat, you're kicking butt and taking names, yep. as usual, and all of things course. that you do. They were trying to make me uh, the captain. Oh no, they were trying to make me the cruise director, and I was just like, hey guys. Uh, and again, I got to that point where I couldn't see myself, like the ceiling was cruise director, which is great, and I met some really great cruise directors and worked under some really great cruise directors, but for me, it just wasn't enough, because I didn't have the creative freedom to say, this is what we're gonna do today. They Even in cruise ships, they have a structure of what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And I was just like, after four years, this isn't the place for me. So I left, came back home, and my sister was like, man, go to grad school. SIUE's got grants right now. They're, they're hiring TAs. I was like, okay, fine. Spoke to the department chair, lovely Bulgarian woman, Dr. <laughs> Elsa Ibrosheva. Um, Nice pronunciation. I know, right? She, she would be very proud <laughs> of that. She would be proud. Yes, I think she's the chancellor now. Like she's, she was like my shero. I love seeing women like doing their thing, and I think that's really important for content creators or artists. Find a mentor. Like find someone who you can emulate, you can like be inspired by. 
she was definitely my inspiration. It's like Bulgarian from another country and she's got her PhD and she's worked her way to become this department chair at SIUE in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of the country. <laughs> she came from Bulgaria to Edwardsville, Illinois to run the communications department and she was gorgeous. She just had long, you know, just very balkan hair. And I'm like, God, you're so beautiful and smart and skilled and, and, the, oh, and the God, accent. passionate. And the accent. And the accent, yes. <laughs> so got my, my master's. My thesis was on, back to social media, social media use in travel and tourism because I just keep going back to that service yeah. industry, the hospitality, the travel and tourism. It's, it's really uh, important to me. It's just like the experiences that you can have and, and what you can, making memories, you know, it's, it's really important to me. So I felt like my thesis had to be based in something I love because that's what the advice my uh, thesis chair said was like do do your research on something that you love that you're interested in and you'll find that your thesis will come together um, more cohesively and I got my master's of science in uh, mass communication nice and media management. nice yeah. work nice work I'm a smart you, you have always we've always talked about this travel thing too like hospitality, the boat, the hotel, traveling, what to do in the Midwest. That's another yeah. thing that's always kind of pulled at you too, is mm -hmm. like trying to represent people and places and things so yeah. that you can make people happy. Yes. Um, on the boat, <laughs> I would see some of the most miserable people. And I'm like, you're on vacation, bruh. Like, be happy. Be happy. Just take a minute to just like take a deep. And I think that's what it is. It's not necessarily like where you go, but just taking a moment where you are. Just pause, go in the backyard and just like look around. Smell the roses, take your shoes off, walk in the grass and just like uh, appreciate this moment. So if you want to drive to Grafton and just take a look at, you know, the bluffs and go to Wood River. I don't care, but just go into, you know, we got, we have a lot to see around here. You got the great rivers, you got all these lakes and stuff like that. Water and trees and bluffs and nature. You can go eagle watching. Do that. So, but that's the next chapter though, right? I mean, you left the, you left the boat, you got your masters. Mm -hmm. Once again, it's like you, you, you see these obstacles and then you master them and, right. and then you get bored. When, when did, Postmasters, when did video and when did this kind of next chapter start? And oh, that's to, a great you question. You know, wanting to kind of do more. Because, I mean, it sounds like you were, I, w I want to figure out when that kind of yeah. came in, you know. Well, I think, okay, so after I got my master's, I got a job at teaching at a, at a university. That's right. And I find my, found myself talking to my students with such passion, like, hey, guys, you know, film is great and photography is great and content creation, blah, 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 blah. And they were like... <sighs> you just give me my grade so I can go back to football practice. Cause I had all these athletes that were only there to get an easy A. And I'm just like, no, you guys don't get it. Photography and video, like it's, it's the way it's your voice. It's the way you express yourself and your artistic, you know, opinion. They were like, yeah, whatever. So <laughs> I was just like, why am I preaching to people who don't get it? and don't want to listen. Yeah. I need to put my energy and my passion into something that I'm going to love when I'm done and appreciate and be proud of myself for doing. So I think that was the switch, but what I found, my problem is this. Throughout my years of like pursuing creative endeavors, when they don't work out or they look like they're not gonna work out, I'm like, screw it, I'll become a cop. 
You know, <laughs> it's just like I, I throw in the towel and then I go to something that's very steady and sustainable and reliable. You're bouncing between those worlds we were talking about earlier. Like, mm-hmm. like what pulls at your kind of your passions and your soul and then where you're from and what you're what you're about. You know, it's, yes. it's I know yeah. exactly what that's like. Yeah, so I was like, oh, they're, they're paying me to teach these kids. I'll just keep doing that until they were like, hey, we're gonna close this campus. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. Like, that's the thing that's gonna make me. So that was the catalyst because if they never did that, I would still, I would be teaching right now. Sure. So that ended and it opened the door for me. It was just like, look, you gotta go do something now because now you have nothing to fall back on. You were literally out on this limb by yourself. You need to figure this out. So that's when I decided to take all the thoughts and ideas I had in my head and, and try to put it out there somehow. So I, I developed some shows in my mind, pitched them to a couple people, and I got some good traction with that until coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> but even in the coronavirus now, because my, my classes were made online, so I'm sitting at home, I'm consuming a lot of content, you know, I'm watching, but. I'm not just like drowning my sorrows and I'm not like, I forget the term, but it's like when you're, I'm not vegging out on content. I'm actually getting inspired by the content. So the more I watched, the more I was like, man, I can do that. I can really do that. So even if someone, even if a Netflix or a Quibi or whoever doesn't want to buy my stuff, there's still places I can put myself out there. I still have Facebook and I still have YouTube to put my things out there. So that's when I kind of decided like, okay, y'all you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you come to me when the time is right but I'm still gonna create my content and I'm gonna put it out there so I've developed a media platform on Facebook where it is a place for local creators to put their work and just have it enjoyed and consumed by the audience on Facebook and the idea is that if your work gets so many views if the page gets so many views you can monetize the page and if your video gets so many views, that will get a check and we'll, we'll split that with the creator. Like, hey, just, you got stuff, we're making stuff, it needs to be seen, let's put it in one place where people can find it and see it. So that's, that's where I am now after all of these years and all this trial and error, I want to create my own stuff and just put it somewhere where people can see it and in three years I'll have something else I wanna do. <laughs> yeah, but in that example though, you're really still trying to help people, you're still trying to get people, you know, even like us, and we've talked about this before, like some, there's things that we've made that that's really good. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we know that it's good and the, the, the people that have seen it know that it's good, but maybe we just made it for a small department at a university or maybe it, like our, our ghost orchid project about the ghost orchid down in Florida. You know, mm-hmm. we just made that for like an internal thing. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other people out there that shoot videos, shoot photography, record music, and they, they don't always have an audience that wants to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And as you well know, and I do, sometimes your own family's like, eh, right. I don't really want to you know, explore your art on a Saturday. Right. I, I want to go do this. you know. So it's so hard to find that audience. So It is, but the great thing about the internet and social media is that the audience is not just my family, my friends, or St. Louis people. It's the entire world. Oh, yeah. Like I was looking at my analytics on my YouTube page and I have people in Great Britain watching my content and I was like, holy crap. It's eye-opening. It's eye-opening because it made me remember that this thing is everywhere. YouTube and Facebook are everywhere. So I just have to put it out there because where I think my audience is, it's not them. My audience is somewhere else. So if you just put it out there, the audience will come to you. You don't have to find that audience. So even though you think, 
oh, no one's interested in a ghost orchid. There might be a community in New Zealand that's like, hey, ghost orchids, you heard? <laughs> Round three. I know, it's true. It's true because we, we the thing that, that frustrates me is that we will make good content for other people. Mm-hmm. You are now making good content kind of for yourself, mm-hmm. for your audience, but you, you know, you're making it for you. Right. When we get to dabble with our little Ozark stories or we did our little race car thing with my dad, those things performed so well. Mm-hmm. And the little race car story I did with my dad, I got a message, you said New Zealand, I got a message from a New Zealander who's like, we love you know hot rods down here, this yep. is great. All of these people commented and shared, I was like, wow, it's like, so I think that's the hardest part about content creation is like, making it for the customer to pay the rent, mm-hmm. but also making it for yourself, for, for others that may need to see it and experience right. it. You know, and it's bouncing between those two worlds. And maybe that's the advice is to make sure that you're not only creating content for your customers, right. but you're doing it for yourself. Because you never know who your customer is. Like, I just want to exactly. see, maybe I have a terrible relationship with my dad and I want to repair it. And then I see you and Jim Hanlon you know, working on this car. It's like, I want that relationship with my dad. That's something I can connect with. That's something relatable to me. Maybe I can show my paw it and suggest that we start working on cars together. There is an audience for every piece of content out there. For sure. I learned that from watching the Tiger King. I was like, people are watching this. People were ready for that. That's for sure. People were ready to binge watch it over and over again. I was like, this is ridiculous. It, it makes you. It makes me wonder if the producers and the people in control were waiting for the moment to release that. And they're like, oh, it's COVID. It's Corona. People are bored out of their minds. Right. And, and I heard gonna, it had been out for a long time. Like had it, had it, it, it had been out for weeks before really? it really like blew up on Twitter. Yeah. Craziness. Yes, <laughs> and then next thing you know, it's number one and most you know recommended on on Netflix. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we may have to do a second. I know part two. <laughs> part two with Jen Hodges. Well, here's what I do want to talk about before we wrap up, because I want to be you know cognizant of your time. Um, what would you say is some advice for basically the young Jennifer of the world? You know what I mean? What's some advice for? Uh, you know, the 17-year-old the, the Jennifer, the 19-year-old Jennifer, the 22-year-old Jennifer who's trying to figure out. I would say, if I met my 19-year-old self, yeah, I would say, try everything. Don't automatically cut something out just because it might seem difficult to do or it might seem out of reach. Try it. And then find out if it's for you. I think where I, if I had any regrets, it would be that, but I didn't try enough things. You know, I I talked myself out of a lot. Who knows where I would be if I kept going the last time I stopped. Yeah. So I would definitely tell her that like, hey, (laughs) don't stop. Just keep trying your hand at things. The things will tell you if it's for you, you know, uh, I don't think education was is for me, but I tried my hand at it, you know, um, give yourself some grace, give yourself some the, the give yourself the grace to make mistakes, give yourself a break because no one else will yeah. um, always ask the question. I got this from Michael Gibbs. Um, what did he say? <laughs> always ask the question the worst they can say is no. But if you don't ask the question, you already got your no. Yeah, we already know we have the no. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you just hold that question in, it's like, okay, well, that's a definite no. But what if they said yes? So the what if on the on the positive side is a mentality 
that I, I'm trying to hold on to as much as possible, but I would encourage anyone out there, like think positively in the what if, what if things go right? Yeah, what if things go wrong? Yeah. But what if things go right? Amen. Yeah, Amen, it's, brother. It's so true because, you know, just relating back to what we talked about earlier, I was not a risk taker at all back in the day. I just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking at all types of crazy different avenues, you know, for the next part of my life. But oh, yeah. It's like, you know, we talk about Michael Gavin a lot um, on this podcast and other ones, but it's like, I was not a risk taker. I was nervous about that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, with, with my career, I was very conservative about my career. And you had a wife and a kid. Yeah. But even before that though, even before that, I, when I made that move to San Diego with my hotel job, like even that was like earth moving for mm -hmm. me, you know? Um, so I think there's some real strong advice there about take some chances. If you're unhappy with your job, Quit your job. Absolutely. Find another job. I mean, you are really a great example for that because you're a lot you're a lot like what Gary talks, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about, that idea of like, you know, if you're young, you can change your job. Absolutely. If you're in your 20s, you can live like this. If you're in your 30s, you can live like, these are the things that you can do and get away with. So mm -hmm. try it. And I think that advice, you know, spills over to schools, nonprofits, small businesses. You've, you've got to try things to see what sticks to the wall. And I think in the age of Corona and COVID, we're all trying to innovate mm -hmm. and evolve a little bit. Uh, there was a young man that emailed me the other day and was like, hey, are you guys gonna come back down here and do that project or is it not happening? I would love to work with you guys again. You know, not much is going on. You could just sense in the email that he was nervous about what was gonna be next for him. Mm -hmm. And I just tried to reassure him that you've gotta innovate and you've gotta look at different ways to serve your people. Right. And, and, and maybe it's not, like right now, we're not doing all of the type of edits that we're known for the storytelling documentary mm. style pieces we're doing a lot of different type of stuff right we're doing glide cam tours and and like Drawn montages footage, yeah. and mm -hmm. we're having people submit footage to us so that is fantastic advice um I, so i started working when i was 15 so the, for the past 23 years i've been doing what everyone thought i should do what the media says is a good job and what my parents say and what my family says and you know what my college friends were doing just trying to live a life that was very compatible to everyone else's. You know, I didn't want to seem like the oddball. So I was just like, let me just stay under the radar. Let me play small. Let me live small yeah, for the past 23 years. So I'm 38. I'll be 40. You retire at 65. So for the next 27 years, I can live loudly and I can live the life I want to live the way I want to live it the rest of the world be darned, you know? It's like, <laughs> I'm making my own rules, I'm living my own life, I'm living my own dream. And if that is the rest of my life, I, I'm happy with that. Amen. Yeah. Amen, that's such good advice. Because we're, we just don't always do that. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know? We kind of just hold it, well, I should probably just hold on to this job or I need to be loyal to this employer because, mm -hmm. You know, maybe I just should, maybe I should, this is what I should do. Exactly. Right? You know, they gave me my first job. I need to stick with them. No, you don't, you don't owe these jobs anything. Yeah, Let me tell these people this. <laughs> you don't owe these jobs anything. If you die today, they will post your job position tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can be 50 That's years old. Yeah. Yes. And be a steel mill worker. And you can say, you know what? This is not for me. I don't want to spend the next 15, 20 years of my life doing this. I'm out. You can reinvent yourself at any time of your life. It doesn't matter if you're 65, 70, even Gary Vaynerchuk talks about 50 year old people 
who quit their jobs and started over doing something else. You know, they bought a boat and now they do like charter tours or whatever. Yeah. You can always start over. You can always, that's the beauty of, of the, that's the benefit of having another day. You have another day to start over and live the life you want. So if yesterday you were a principal at a school, you can wake up tomorrow and be a surf instructor. You can if you want to, you bro. You sure can. You sure can. It's just it's just getting people to make that shift, and that's what Gebs did, and that's what I'm trying to do to a couple of people close to me in my life right now. Is like you can make this shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I was scared to death mm-hmm. to leave the bosom of the hotel, right? Because it was all I knew. It was a guaranteed paycheck, mm-hmm. a little little 401k contribution. I did not know anything else, right? And I was kind of raised to not know anything else. Yeah, get a good job. Get benefit. I mean, I remember like that was all I get a good job, get good benefits, get retirement. Like that's maybe that's just our generation, you know, coming out of like baby boomer parents and stuff. It's that generation of just like be stable, you know, be reliable. This is you don't need to go be a crazy entrepreneur. Right. You know. Yeah. And I think not even just baby boomers. I think we have this culture in America of being employees. Yeah. You know, so that's, you don't see a lot of entrepreneurship in America. You might see a little mom and pop this, but mostly we're living a corporate life. But if you're in like a small country, like Mexico, they're all entrepreneurs. It's all small businesses. For sure. You know, either she's got the fabric and I've got the good vanilla and you've got the agave plants. Like it's all small there. That's very true because even when, so I used to live in San Diego and we would road trip in Mexico all the time mm-hmm. and explore and all kinds of stuff. And I remember we were going to this winery down outside of Ensenada. Oh God, yeah. the winery yeah. is so good. So, but this was ages ago <laughs> and we stopped at this little quick shop. Um, I think it was after we left the winery. So we had a few drinks and we stopped at this quick shop uh, to get water or something. And they had behind the quick shop a really tiny, could fit in this room go-kart track mm-hmm. and I was like I love it please take my money right and we rode the go-karts for like a few hours I think if I bought some you know Modelo or some Tecate and stayed and that's hilarious but that is true like you know any opportunity to, to make a buck so yeah yeah so we don't we don't have that kind of captain of industry you know go-getter entrepreneur it's like no give me I recommend people read this book called the shark and the goldfish it's by John Gordon you probably don't even remember this book but we had an event at the Four Seasons and this company came in and they had stacks of these books to give to their employees for this employee conference. And it's like 80 pages. But the book talks about, are you a shark or are you a goldfish? Are you the type of person who's gonna be happy living in this small bowl, getting fed every single day? Someone's gonna put a little castle in your bowl and you're just gonna live a comfy life and you don't have to try hard, you don't have to take risks, you don't have to take chances, you don't have to sacrifice anything. You're living good. You're living mediocre until you die. Are you going to be a shark? And you're going to go after the big kill? Because if you get it, oh my God, it's a huge deal. You know, you can eat for days in this giant kill, but you might starve for weeks as well. That's the caveat of being a shark. But being a shark, you have the opportunity of getting a big kill. If you're a goldfish, you won't ever get a big, you're just going to get Well, and, and exploring the ocean. Exploring and the ocean, exactly. And all of that. This is so And everything weird. that's un, 
tech. This is, this like, so, oh gosh. This is so weird that we're having this conversation <laughs> because I'm on the, the edge of a big decision. I, this must be the universe talking to me or something. Read the book. Yeah, that's crazy. I'll give it to you. I, it's yeah. this big. It's like 80 pages. You it's, do make a good point because like I'll talk to people a lot and they have no idea who Gary Vaynerchuk is. But then you look at his following online and you're like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's like just another, yeah, it's like a, it's a different group. It's not the the foot soldiers that you and I used to be. Right. You know, just kind of like lockstep, working hard. And I remember like l when I left the hotel thinking, oh my gosh, like I can make as much or as little money as I want based on my performance. Absolutely. You know, these internal conversations versus working my tail off. Right. To get and this. You and I did work our butts off. Oh yeah. We, we had magic in a bottle at that hotel. But the pay was always the same. Exactly. The nights it, I spent the night at the hotel because we would have an event that oh, ended yeah. at three and I had another event at like seven, so I had to be there at six. Check into the hotel. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just give me a room. I'll just be here. I wonder if people, some people can relate to that. Like the idea of work. Like I used to have this event on Memorial Day weekend in San Diego for five years straight. And it was this big like mom and uh, it was dad and daughter like charity league. It was kind of like a coming out party for rich people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was a 20 hour day mm -hmm. from start to finish. And I tell people that all the time for five years in a row, every yeah. Memorial Day weekend, I would have 20 hour days for the whole week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people just can't. Right. You know? Oh no. But oh, you wow. and I were like, that's so normal. You just work really hard for the people that pay you. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't think I ever. for the client. Remember that? Oh my. I don't think I ever worked as hard as w when we had an ethnic wedding. So Chinese weddings or Jewish weddings are like a three-day event. Indian weddings are a yeah. three-day event. We used to have elephants that would walk up to the hotel. And horses. Yeah. Yes. So it's like the customs and the cult. Like Korean weddings are a three-day event because you have like a Korean wedding and you have like an American-style wedding. It's a thing, people. <laughs> and like Jewish weddings, they happen on Sunday and then you do the brunch on Monday, but then you do like the the, the family dinner on Saturday. So it's, it's a thing, guys. Like, yeah, we would spend so much time I know. <laughs> delivering this product and this experience to these people that they experienced for like an hour, but it took us 72 hours to build and, and create. Yeah, it's... It's crazy the similarities between what we're doing now and <laughs> Right, that. but we ventured out. We were like, okay, working 72 hours, I'm still getting the same paycheck and I'm still getting the same minimal accolades. Like, oh, thanks, I had a really good time. But it's like, I don't feel like I could own that, you know? The, 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 we would have the most beautiful events and I still didn't feel like I did something. But with me, I just had a great um, experience with one of my clients. I got her on a really big podcast. So I'm like, I didn't even get paid for it, but I'm like, I did that. Yeah. I put her on a platform that has a million followers. Like her reach, a million people now know who she is because of me, because of something I did. I can be <laughs> proud of myself for that. <laughs> I would rather have a million of those than 30 more years of working at a job where I'm not recognized for the work that I do or who I am. I just, I'm a middle child as well. So I, I'm constantly trying to be acknowledged. You know, I want to be seen, I want to be heard, and I want what I do to be acknowledged. And that's where I feel I want to go forward in my, in my career is like doing things that it's I, I'm responsible for and people acknowledge me for doing have had doing that thing yeah yeah see I think be, I was the youngest and for me even now the youngest it's always like being taken seriously mm -hmm. 
you know, that was always a thing for me is like, you want to be taken seriously. Yes. Uh, and now I kind of find myself as the youngest of the family, like in a much different role, mm-hmm. you know, but. Uh, well, like with Gary Vee, the reason why I love Gary Vee, not because he tells people to quit their job and go after the life you want, but because of his Belarusian and Ukrainian back, like he has an immigrant mentality. I freaking love that because it's very similar to my Southern family who went through segregation. Like there was basically a war where he was and we were kind of living in a war too. You know, if you were black in America in the fifties and sixties in the South, you you were kind of fighting for your life. So to, to leave that, and they still were able to start a business. And it was like, hey, everybody in this family is working in this business now. Like we're gonna live in this, with eight of us in this one bedroom apartment, but we're gonna, we're gonna struggle, we're going to, but we're gonna build something of our own. So that just kind of work ethic and that forget everything else. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna build a life, I'm gonna build a business. I'm gonna support my family with this thing I created. You don't see a lot of that in America. And people want to talk bad about immigrants or whatever, but I'm telling you, you can learn a lot from people who leave what they've known all of their life to go to this country. Can you imagine picking up, leaving everything behind and going to Belarus right now? Yeah, and never coming back. And never coming back. Yeah. Now you gotta learn Russian, okay? <laughs> and, and, now, and, and, you, and you gotta run a business in that country. And you country. gotta run a business! In that country. No. And it's you, your wife, and your two children, and you're all out there trying yeah. to shoot videos in yeah. Belarus. And maybe you brought grandma and an <laughs> right. aunt and you're all just trying to figure it out. No, I mean, I completely agree with the idea that there is not enough respect for the immigrant story in America the way there used to be. Right. You know, this is a country of immigrants. Yeah, legit. And, and, and I think what you said earlier, there, there are those stories, but they're just not being talked about. Mm-hmm. There is still that Mexican family in San Diego and everybody's pushing against the tide and they're all working in the store, or they're all working in the shop or what, you know, they're, they're out there, mm-hmm. but they're immigrants. Right. And we're not hearing about that enough. Right, I think that's why some people might not know of Gary Vee, but once I learned about about his background and his family, and it's like, oh my, you know, my parents are from Belarus, we came over. I was like, oh really? Let me hear more. Yeah, and he talks like and talks to you and talks to his audience and stuff like the way we're talking to each other now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, you know, there's no hidden secret. There's no snake exactly. oil. There's no, you know. Yeah, it, I think I think that's probably why Tony Robbins was so big in his time and still really is. Is that kind of like because when I would go to those Tony Robbins events. I would stand there with my camera, you know, we're working and stuff, and I would stand there, I kind of like watch the audience and listen to Tony look around. I'm like, he's just spewing common sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, hey, everybody, he's just telling you like what your dad would probably tell you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. But you're back to Gary Vee, like his dad was an entrepreneur. So when Gary Vee was like, hey, I want to do this thing, he had that support because he comes from a family of entrepreneurs. A lot of Americans don't have that experience. So unless you have artistic parents or entrepreneur parents, you don't find yourself getting that support from them. So for any budding entrepreneur out there and anybody who wants to create anything, find your people. True. They might not be your parents and your siblings and that's okay. You can and, still love them. Gary talks about that too. Yeah, we can still go to barbecues together. That's cool. But if I'm talking about this app I'm developing, I'm gonna go talk to my crew of app developers. I'm gonna get around some IT people Amen. and talk to them. I'm gonna get some other film directors 
and filmmakers and I'm gonna go talk to them or other podcasters or other rappers or other singers or whatever it is you wanna create. If you're an artist and you don't feel like you're getting that support for you, go find the support. Yeah, because that's so true because your audience is not your brother or your sister, your mom, your uncle, your best friend. I mean, they're just just not and it sucks sometimes Mm -hmm. because you're looking to that audience for validation and they're like, I don't get it, man. No. This is dumb. Or, or, or I'm, you know, you just can't, you're not going to get the validation there. No, my mom has told me multiple times, I don't get it. So as much as I love my parents and I love my siblings, I know that they would never consume anything that I created. <laughs> love, <laughs> they don't even share the stuff I put on Facebook. I'm like, hey guys, can, can I you get share a this? share? Can I get a shit? Can I get a like and a comment? So uh, if you find yourself in that predicament where it seems like your your inner circle, your friends, your family, you're not supporting. It's okay, just go find the people who, who do support you and, and live in that. Um, they can be perfect strangers. You can get in Facebook groups. You can get in master classes. You can get in, you know, find yourself a mentor, but. I think Tim Ferriss said, uh, or maybe he quoted this, but you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And that's basically what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, like make sure that those five people you're probably spending the most time with either online, on the phone, in person, echo that mm-hmm. and so I think true. we we struggle like you said we there's this internal struggle we see that sometimes as a crisis like oh no I don't know what to do this job fell apart or this client you know went away like what do I do now we have to remember that a crisis can catapult us to our calling so we can get this struggle this obstacle that we're going through right now that might be the thing that will help us find the place we're supposed to be and Amen. do the thing that we're supposed to be doing. Keep that in mind, people. Adver- Never forget that. Adversity builds character. Absolutely. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. We're putting all these on t-shirts. You can find them <laughs> at rock3films.com. <laughs> we're basically just quoting everything our high school coaches said. Right. High school track coaches. Come on, Hamlin. Clothes. Get your act together. This series of clothing oh, is gosh. called High School yeah. Track Quotes. The High School Collection by <laughs> Jen and Ryan. All right, well, this has been so much fun. We are over an hour, so I want to make sure that we tell people where to find you. Yes, find me. To consume me. your content. Consume and my then content. we need to do this again, because there's so much more we need to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. We, we need to talk about crazy COVID. We need to talk about crazy people in pink shirts and all the other stuff we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I wonder if we should maybe kind of keep this conversation like this and then have another one where we dive a little bit deeper into more kind of current stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. I, I really enjoyed this uh, business experience. And talk. <laughs> Hope I encourage some people out there. And if you I liked what I had to say, you can follow me in all of my socials at JSOExtra. That's J-A-Y-E-S-O-E-X-T-R-A, JSOExtra, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram and follow my YouTube channel. Subscribe at JSO Extra. I'm talking about tips for singles. Unlike you married folk with children, <laughs> singles are important too. Single people matter. Single uh, people matter. I've watched some of those videos. Yes. The DMV video was great. Yes. So I'm giving <laughs> tips on like finances for singles, cooking for one, and like how to work out by yourself and not feel like a total weirdo. I love all of it, but you just said you have a TikTok account now? Yes, I have a TikTok. I am. So I have a TikTok. Have so much to teach me. One of my videos is about mopping. It has 22,000 views. How do we make sure Audrey, my 11-year-old, <laughs> is following you on TikTok? Just go to search JSO Extra oh accounts and then they'll, they'll follow me. I promise you Audrey's going to follow you. Yes. Too. I'll follow her back, too. So you too. can school me on all the new socials. Oh, yeah. I am just too old-fashioned. <laughs> right? They're not all for us. Trust me. <laughs> Jennifer Hodges, my friend, my pal. 
handling my, the manly. My sidekick in the trenches of the hotel. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you today. I'm and, so happy to be here. You're going to come back and we're going to do this again. Yeah, part two, coming soon. <laughs> we've got we to print the high school t-shirts. Right, <laughs> we have t-shirts to print, guys. We'll be back. All right, we'll see you all later. <laughs>